We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. We might get Mike later in the fancy San Francisco hotels. They don't have the best Wi-Fi, so he's wrestling with that right now. We shall see, but we're going to preview game five today. And I would like to start, Darius, on the offensive end of the court. As you accurately pointed out in both yesterday's pod and the text thread, we were kind of bemoaning the Steph high ball screens, which we will get to probably a little bit later, and how the Lakers were guarding that. But it's like, oh, we got 49 points at halftime. We're not scoring particularly well. Now, in both live action and then the details of this, I thought really revealed themselves more in the rewatch. We needed guards to step up in that first yes. half. We didn't have any guards play particularly well. And then in the second half, Austin and Lonnie really had had good second halves. Um, but I would l- like to start with LeBron James, who we haven't talked about a ton in the last couple of pods. And Darvin had some quotes about like LeBron kind of having something in reserve. And throughout the course of this series, I've seen LeBron really picking his spots especially in the second half of games. So I saw something in game three. You saw something in game four. Talk to me about what you've been seeing. So there's just a certain amount of control that LeBron had. And and so just to highlight your point first about like something in reserve, we talked about that play where he got in a full sprint and deflected that pass after the Curry steal, Mm -hmm. tight sort of game. This was in game three. The one where he ran up into the stands? Yeah. Yes, where he hurdled the front row and then ran up into the stands. In game four, he had a similar sequence where he got isolated against Clay in the post off of a switch, and he's at like the foul line area. And LeBron's starting to back him down. He goes into and turns over his left shoulder to do a fadeaway, and Clay slaps down and strips the ball. Clean steal. And LeBron is just sort of like, LeBron, so many different times when that happens, he might look around and be like, where's the whistle? Zero hesitation, turns full sprint, full sprint in order to try to contest a shot at the basket. He helps force a miss, turns right back around, runs all the way up court, calling for the ball, 
doesn't get it, circles through to the right wing, gets a release valve pass and fires up a three and puts the Lakers up two. He's not going to do that every possession. Most players aren't, but LeBron specifically isn't. And so I just wanted to sort of highlight that in certain moments of the game, he feels where he can turn it on and he just does. He understands the when of basketball so well. In the second half of game four, I thought, especially like in that bridge between the third and then the fourth quarter, I thought he decided I need to start to take the reins of this game and I'm going to dictate the terms of how this game finishes. And he was bringing the ball up almost every possession. He was orchestrating and he was calling Steph into a bunch of ball screens. Pete. And LeBron got isolated on Steph a bunch of times. And a lot of those didn't turn into baskets, but he was creating advantage on nearly every single possession. And I don't know if he has that in him for 40 minutes of shifts. He has an opportunity, I think, to say, I can commandeer this offense and we can generate good shots. And he hasn't been doing that all playoffs. He didn't do it against Memphis very much, and he hasn't done it against the Warriors very much. But he saw an opportunity to go up 3-1 rather than it be 2-2, and he chose his spot there. And so I am super interested to see what things look like for LeBron in Game 5. But what are you seeing with all of that? Well, I'm actually going to swing the ball over to to Mike here. Uh, He got the Wi-Fi issues squared away. Mike, we got um, game five coming up tonight. I think that there's, I hope, the appropriate fear of the Golden State Warriors that they can come back. We've, you know, we've got a home court advantage, but only by one game. And so I what do you see about tonight, Mike? These have not been games that we have been particularly uh, good in the ones where we're up two games in the series or after a road win. Right. That playing that second game, that game two. Uh, what do you see out of the, the team's mindset tonight? I do think there's a different feeling heading into this one than game five against Memphis for a couple of different reasons. But there Game five is typically an energy game for the home team, especially, well, almost in any circumstance in this one, but it's always a game that the home team needs to have, whether it's for a closeout, whether it's for it to come back or just keep the series going. And it's the time that, you know, sometimes that desperation is there like it was in game two, if you can beat a home team in game one. But in this case, just like in Memphis, you know, the Warriors literally have to win the game or the series is over. But the difference is that that Memphis team to me was just young and physical and they could raise their level of energy. And that was going to be a tough thing to match, just period, like an all out home energy game with athletes, with size, with physicality. That's where you go into that one sort of knowing that you have to bring a certain level. And I think that that those games, especially just in NBA, in the NBA history, the ones that I've seen are very difficult. Golden State to me is different in that they don't have that physical element that they can run at the Lakers they can the physical element they have is with pace and speed and kind of getting up and down but I don't think that's so overwhelming that the Lakers can't stick with that especially since they they are sort of always aware and always have the appropriate fear of Steph um, particularly and also just extending that to Clay and to Jordan Poole and the other guys that can shoot so this to me comes back to something we talked about for game five at Memphis in terms of adjustments. But I think there, there isn't really a great adjustment for the physicality with mm-hmm. what they had in the roster tonight. I think the, the adjustment game actually favors the Lakers in that the Warriors made their big adjustment. They made their sort of final lineup change and push 
in putting Gary Payton the second in. And I think the Lakers decided not to do an in-game counter uh, to that and just tried to play it out, and, and they end up winning. Um, shout out to the fourth and uh, everybody else, especially Anthony Davis, that played well in that game from the Lakers standpoint. So I don't know how specifically we want to get into that. Uh, we, we, of course, don't know for sure until we see the game what the adjustment's going to be. I think we have some ideas for it, but that's something that I think the Lakers can carry into game five um, from that adjustment yeah. standpoint. And and that, to me, gives them a better chance to win this game than I thought they had heading into Memphis in game five. One thing that I think fuses together the elements of adjustments and physicality is basically what Darius was describing earlier, that idea of we're going to attack Steph, right? Like Darius was talking about LeBron commandeering possessions. And the plan that he very obviously had throughout that was we're going to attack Steph as much as we can. And Lonnie was the central figure in that, but LeBron was the conductor in a lot of those possessions, right? And so that I think is something that the Lakers, and this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the series of like wearing them down is... I. I think that in a game five, in in even going forward in this series, making this is an exhausting of a series on Steph Curry, possession after possession after possession. And that is a team-wide job, D. That's not something that one player can do, but that's something that goes from Austin to Vando to Dennis to Anthony Davis, right? And there are some cards still left to play that Mike alluded to in terms of adjusting. We'll get more into that like high ball screen when the Lakers are on defense type of thing. But on offense, making Steph work and involving him in all those actions, right? You, You were saying that LeBron went after him uh, like 12 times. They targeted Steph 12 times in ball screens in that second half, that second half. I expect that sort of thing to continue. And I think that the the pivot point on that is going to be how well our guards play and shoot in particular. There are a lot of shots available for both them and AD in that like 13 to 18 foot type of range. And I think that how successful they are on those is going to determine a lot. How successful can the Lakers be as an attacking team at Steph Curry with their starting group yeah. when Steph is likely to defend Vanderbilt in a lot of these scenarios. It's going to depend heavily on whether or not Vando makes open corner threes, right? And he has not done that well in sure. this series, in the Memphis series. He had one game where he was like three for eight. I think he's due for one of those games where just like go one for three, go two for five. These are wide open shots, right? But that is the limiting factor of Vando, right? And that's the reason why he's playing 15 yeah. minutes or so in most of these games. So it's it's going to depend on can Vando hit a wide open three, which is going to be a hit and miss proposition. Yeah, that's where I think that Vando is more like the I'm going to try to wear on you defensively yeah. guy. And then throughout the game in the bench portions, it'll be more on offense. In keeping with the offensive theme, LeBron is going to be super important. He's been matching up against Wiggins a lot. And I think the Lakers attempts to get Wiggins off of him through screen actions is going to be an ongoing subplot of the entire game. And the more that LeBron can get Wiggins off of him, the more we will see him into the post and driving and then getting into other screen and roll actions because Wiggins is the guy who can also switch on to AD a little bit. Like there's there's a lot of things that with Wiggins in the mix there, it's harder. So I want to pivot this to a different conversation offensively, and that's to D'Angelo Russell, right? And so we were talking a little bit before the game, Pete, about this idea of it was the guards who needed to sort of step up more like LeBron and AD were scoring. Well, AD was actually scoring mm-hmm. great in the first half. And then LeBron was OK, like not necessarily as efficient, but like picking his spots and scoring. 
But D'Lo was like one for a seven and Austin was three for nine and Dennis really wasn't giving much. And then in the second half, that turned. So I want to talk about D'Lo a little bit. One of the things that the Peyton in the starting yeah. lineup group did, it wasn't just what he was doing offensively as a screener and a short role player. It was what he was doing defensively as the guy that was defending D'Angelo Russell. How do you see that playing out? Because D'Lo struggled yep. and Peyton had a lot to do with that. So to me, that directs the conversation toward Austin, right? Like meaning that if Gary Payton II is on D'Lo, I don't think we should be initiating a ton of our offense through him, right? And in the spirit of attacking Steph as much as possible, Austin, like we've talked about Austin's legs a ton. This has been a theme if you've listened to the pod over the last couple of years that the ball will start to sail on him in ways where it's like very indicative of of players who lose their legs. I think we've over-indexed on that a little bit too much though, that it's not just that. This is a second year undrafted player who they just started giving the ball to after the trade deadline. That's one of the biggest benefits of the trade deadline is not just the players that were acquired, but it left the Lakers in a position. Dennis was saying this, he was doing, I think he was playing a video game or something uh, and doing some live stream last night where he was like, yeah, we gave Austin the ball, you know, <laughs> like, and so he started to find his range in the second half. And for all of the rightful praise that, that Lonnie got, Mike, Austin had a huge second half as a scorer in ways that that if we're going to attack Steph and we're not going to like attack them where they're at their strongest, Austin being able to replicate that, I think is super important. And he, he hit some mid range shots. He's, he's another one of those guys that that mid range area, he had a great bump off on Moses Moody, Mike, where he stepped back and hit a big jumper in the third. He, I think has gotten a little sped up by the back pressure and just the speed of this type of game, but I think he's starting to adjust to it. But either way, Mike, I think Austin as a scorer, as an offensive player, going to be super important with those groups. Yeah. And this is why the Lakers started to look just more like a complete team once they put Austin into the starting lineup, you know, next to D'Lo. And so in that second half, Austin, he only took six shots, but he made four of them. And two of them were three-pointers, and he got to the free-throw line four times and made all four free-throws. Mm. So that was 14 points. You know, LeBron had 16, Austin had 14, and then, of course, you had the Lonnie 15 in the fourth quarter alone. But almost every one of Austin's shots just felt like, in the building, it felt like a, a big shot that didn't get the, the proper acknowledgement of a big shot because it didn't tie the game or take the lead, typically. it was He was scoring when they were down seven, you know, or they were down nine. And, and they, or they were down four, just keeping them attached. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and he was, and he was doing it in, in sort of golden state was allowing that they were going to allow him to have the ball in those, in those situations, because, you know, he had, we talked about this last time, but I think Austin, he's not, he's never going to acknowledge anything other than, Hey, if I'm, if I'm on the basketball court, I'm playing, don't worry about me. But I think that he's been carrying not necessarily just an injury, but I think he's been banged up and he's been he's been just playing through it. But I thought he looked a little better physically uh, and maybe he just felt better. Maybe maybe the uh, whatever the routine that he's been working on or uh, he he had a little bit more bounce and a little bit more life. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was huge. And you saw that reflected in his balance on some of those shots, um, those tough those tough shots that are that it's not like he's just catching and shooting, you know, he's got to, he's got to shake his guy and then get between the defense and rise. So that though, that is, if you can go to that when you have other players on the floor that are threats and that, you know, they're not devoting their top resource to that's big. And then their adjustment for this game, they might have to switch a different defender over onto Austin. And then guess what? Then D exactly. is free. 
in a way. So that's the whole that's the whole reason why in, in this Lakers starting lineup, I think that they can be so dangerous is that they've got diff- many different areas to attack and you can't cover all of them. Uh, and it, at a certain point, it just comes down to is that shot going to go in or not? But they're they're going to be able to create enough advantage when Austin's playing at that level that it's really going to help them. And this is part of what's so valuable about having guards that can play both on the ball and off of it, D. This isn't something where Gary Payton II is going to be on D'Lo the whole game, right? But when he is, to me, that's much more of the he's the off-ball shooter type in those type of situations. Yeah. And then on the times where it's Clay or Steph on him, absolutely initiate with them double drag screens, all the stuff that we've been doing to kind of get guards open. So yeah, it's it's a matter of like attacking weakness, I think, in Golden State and making sure that you're finding the right guy in the right matchup. And that, as the series has gone on more and more, that's been more and more Bill Dacre's offensive strategy. Yeah, or if not a weakness, like less Yes, less exactly. Right. And so we've talked a ton about like, hey, posting AD against Draymond, that's probably not the best thing. But attacking him in early offense off of the dribble like he did to get that layup in the second quarter, I think. The end one? Towards the end of the first half. Yes. It's like those are the plays where you have to understand where where the balance tilts in your favor. And then and even if it's just marginally, that's where you attack. And that's where I thought. That's not some huge adjustment, right? That's like a feel of the game sort of thing. And that's where I think LeBron is so important to circle back to how we started this, this conversation, right? Because LeBron as a decision maker and as a driver of mentality and you called him the conductor, but the guy who's moving the chess pieces around the board his influence on the game matters as much from that perspective as it is his ability to actually get downhill and finish at the basket and yada, 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 right? And in just a big picture sense, like I, I've, I've always thought that these years of LeBron at this age, having a roster around him that can carry the team and, and you know, that can carry the team against other really good teams. And then he can go, okay, what does this game need? Do, do I need to be a rebounder yeah. today? Do I need to be a three-point shooter, which he's been much better at in this series? He seems to have found his his three ball a little bit over the course of this series. Do I need to be a post player, right? And so that is just – that's a great win, I think, for the organization is to get the team and roster to that point where LeBron can pick his spots and and really go for the kill shot. Mike, one of my favorite players of all time with with the Lakers is like Lamar Odom, right? And that idea of there would be a game against the Nuggets – for example, where Lamar might be like, all right, well, this is an 18 rebound game. Uh-huh. And then there might be a game against the Jazz where it's just like, all right, well, this is a 25 point game because they got memo occur on me. Right. Or I can attack Carlos Boozer in this yep. way. So that Swiss Army knife nature. LeBron's the best at that ever. Yeah. Right. He's the he's the NBA's all time leading scorer who also happens to have over 10,000 career assists and rebounds like there's no one like him in the history of the league. And so what Pete's describing is exactly how he can he can pull the rope a little bit further in uh, the Lakers direction. So let's go to break here. And on the other side, I think I want to talk a little bit more about defense and Does Kerr have one more adjustment in him, or is it Darwin who has one more adjustment in him? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. I'd, I'd love to let me kick this to you, uh, Pete, to start about the way that the, this series has gone back with like with adjustments and kind of the game to game thing. And it, the basic, basic part of it, and you fill in the details. The Warriors are shifting the way like where Steph has the ball, who's setting the screen and like where he can get downhill and basically where they're trying to get Anthony Davis um, yep. either out of or what spot to put in. And the Lakers are shifting all these other players and different matchups around to try and get AD in in spots that are more advantageous to the Lakers. And it shifted from game one to game two to game three to game four. If you think that's a, a I bastardized it to try and make it as simple as possible. But no, um, is that like heading into game five? I think the Lakers have that edge again. But I'd, I'd just be curious how you would describe that little song and dance and how much of it is Steph and AD at, at the helm. I, I think you're spot on with that, Mike, in very simple terms. The Warriors want to pull Anthony Davis out to the perimeter, and the Lakers don't want Anthony Davis to be pulled out to the perimeter. Um, and that said, though, there's a lot of pressure being put in both directions. Again, that's the best offensive player in the world against the best defensive one. Just super cool. And so the Warriors have been at their best when they've stretched out the Lakers uh, on those ball, ball screens, particularly when they start setting those screens right around half court. And the most dangerous player in that whole dynamic is with the way that we've been running these high drops and kind of extending AD a little bit higher, which is different than switching. We'll get to the switching in a moment, but the most dangerous player is the roll guy. And that's that offensive value of having Draymond and Peyton. You have two screen and roll guys where it's like, oh, you can't hide AD as much. Now, the Lakers did adjust by putting him on Wiggins, who's less of that guy, although he did a lot of it last year. I, and I think he's capable. I think that's one of Golden State's potential adjustments is, uh, is doing that. But when they start setting their screens at half court, I don't think we need to go over the screen on step. It's like if we lose the game on step 35 footers, I know those can be daggers, but it's like I'll take that shot. And if it means Anthony Davis is rim running the other direction and either Steph or Clay or DiVincenzo, that's the whole, you know, Calvin Johnson or Rob Gronkowski against the five foot nine quarterback type of play where it's throw it up to Anthony Davis on the other end. Right. And so 
If we're going to have AD that far out, I think it's important to get transition offense value on that. But that to me, D, is one of the the adjustments. And I thought we did a good job of that in the second half is not getting as stretched out on those high ball screens. And so that is the the first place that I start is kind of the positioning of Anthony Davis and how high do we pick up Steph? So I'm I'm so happy you brought up the idea of how high do you pick him up and also like how do you navigate screens? Where is the line of demarcation of where we're now an over versus an under team? And Draymond is so smart and he's so good. Like if if you're watching these games and you don't understand like how Draymond is impacting the game, it's sort of weird, but He's been like creeping up and finding these crazy angles in early offense and semi-transition to set these screens for Steph, where Steph's not coming off these screens looking to shoot a 30-footer. He's coming off these screens looking to get downhill. Yep. And the point you made a couple of pods ago about how if you want to know how effective the Warriors are in terms of their offense, look at Steph Curry's assists. Don't look at like what his point totals are. And that's how he's going to hurt you. It's by getting downhill and creating spot up opportunities for his team rather than and like layups for his diving big opportunity. Yeah. Rather than him having like a 50 point night. Now he can score 50 points and that can beat you, too. He did that against the Kings in game seven. But the Lakers are going to need to decide. And they are going to need to be disciplined in how they do go over and under. The other thing is and. I'm just super interested in this as a general idea, Mike, is we all revert back to the version of ourselves that we're most comfortable in, right? And like what our idea of what we should be and what we are, that always comes out. And so everyone was asking after game four, well, it's just like, why didn't the Warriors keep just playing and pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll? Mm. It's because like, that's not the ethos of their team. That's not their most natural state. It's not the version of them that they, that they see themselves as. The version of them is that they see themselves as is the team that is fake handoff to Steph. Draymond gets downhill and they run that hammer action, right? Like they want to try to play the beautiful game because that's how they've won all of these these titles. And so I'm very interested to see, are they going to go? Are they going to run 100? Are they going to turn Steph into Trey Young or Houston James (laughs) Harden? Because that's seemingly the direction that this series is going in, in terms of them being able to generate like high level offense over and over and over again. Yeah, I thought that there are a couple of narratives out of game four, and we've we've spent a lot of time talking about narratives uh, in this <laughs> this postseason. And by the way, it was fun. It was fun seeing all the responses to uh, to Pete's rant uh, the other night. Um, <laughs> I, I would like to point out that Steph Curry it play, also played 56 games, just like Anthony Davis did. And so the all NBA voting is coming out, might be out by the time this pod comes out. Right. And so the, a lot of the arguments for why Anthony Davis does not belong on an all defense team, all defense, right? This is specific to the thing that he's best at in the world is because, Oh, he just didn't play enough. Do you think Steph Curry is going to miss an all NBA team, which is not an offensive player of the year award. He'd get more award, more votes if it were an offensive player of the year award, right? You think he's not going to make an all NBA team for playing 56 games. I digress. Continue. Well, Okay, well now now you have me now you have. Do you remember when I I was pre complaining about AD's All NBA status? 
Yeah. <laughs> and and the, the player that I was targeting at the time was DeMonte Sabonis, uh, because I think that he's going to end up on the third team spot that, I do too. that Davis should be on at worst. But so, Pete, when you bring Curry into this and how he's, which, by the way, rightfully going to be on an all-NBA team. Um, yes. The Warriors won one more game than the Lakers in the regular season. And yep. the Clippers won one more game. The Suns won two more games. So the Lakers were two. They ended up being two games back of the four seed. Uh, and by the way, Sacramento was five games up uh, in the win column. So I like as this. Sorry, quick aside here, and then we can get back to the actual topic because I I'm, I'm going to try not to forget my point about um, about Curry from the That's last. That's my bad. So the Lakers in 13th place when a lot of the All NBA discussion started to come up. I got that part. Like it is when you, if you're, if you're um, doing this sort of projection, which is what all NBA is when we have all these conversations throughout the season. And it's like, well, yes, AD uh, and LeBron are still great players, but you know, look, the Lakers, it's kind of a mess over there. They're in 13th place, you know, Westbrook, they made the trade. That was, I, I, I understood some of that, but then as the Lakers came out of that, right. And started to win at a, at a big level and started to climb in the standings and clearly establish themselves as a, as a playoff team. Um, basically equal to those other teams that I just mentioned. And we have the proof now, right, with how the Lakers have played in the postseason. That's when you have to reconsider, right, who like who had the quote-unquote better regular season and what does that mean for playoff positioning, which is the whole point of the regular season. And once you get down to that, then you look at the advanced stats and just in the case of Sabonis, oh, AD actually has better advanced stats. And then you think about the eye test, oh, wait, the difference that he makes defensively is so much massively, uh, it's just a, a whole nother extent. So the only two centers that are even in the league of AD are, of course, Jokic and Embiid. And in terms of those teams, Denver being first in the conference, Philly being third in the East, and, and the, the weight that they have to carry as the yep. number one, I get yep. that. Even if in a playoff series, you know, I can make a pretty good argument um, for Anthony Davis since we've seen him carry it through to the full thing. So that's that's all of the, that. That was the pre-rant that I was going on. And now the defensive player of the year thing that goes along with it. And um, and it was a I think from an AD perspective, the proper response is what exactly what he's doing. Oh, OK. Kind of like Darius sometimes. Yeah. Like, oh, Oh, I'm not. I'm not all NBA, Darius. Oh, I'm not a defensive player. Okay, and then even though AD does not, he truly doesn't care like some players do. Like I'm the I'm the type of person if I were him, that would that would drive me nuts. And he's he truly does not seem to care. But I hope that he does in the context of he can he can do the retweet with the O like you might do, Darius. He doesn't need to care, Mike. I also want to point out, Mike, this isn't about to me like him making a all defensive team or not. It's the number of votes that he got. He finished 19th in all defense voting, right? He got nine votes, nine votes overall, 19th overall. And that's just so stunning to me. It's not about like, oh, well, Brooke Lopez carried them all season, Bam Adebayo. Nothing against those guys. They're great defenders. It's not that at all. It's the idea that did everybody just not watch Anthony Davis this season? That's the thing that I'm so apoplectic about. So anyway, Darius, please. My only point about AD is that he is a 16-game player. He's also an 82-game player. I think the injury stuff has been this Paul on his name and the way that it's just like talking about narratives, right? That AD is injury prone is, and maybe Kevin Durant is injury prone. Maybe Steph Curry is injury prone. Maybe all of these guys, except for Giannis is injury prone. Maybe this year he was injury prone. And next year, if he gets hurt again, he'll be injury prone too. Anthony Davis had a dude fall into his knee 
the year after the bubble, a dude just fell into his knee, fell right into it. After that, he basically said, I talked to the doctors and they are lucky. And they were telling me I was lucky that I didn't have torn ligaments in my knee and that it was only a sprain and that I'm not out for the season. Okay. Then he comes back and he gets hurt again during the playoffs on another unfortunate play. The next season, he goes up and catches a lob in traffic and lands on Rudy Gobert's foot and basically wrecks his foot and wrecks his ankle in another injury where the doctors are just like, hey, bro, you're kind of lucky that your season's not over here. Like this happens to most players and your season's done. And then this year, he had a stress reaction and a stress injury and a bone spur that has basically been there for a decade and all of this stuff. And it's just like, okay, we get it. AD's been hurt because these things happen. But this whole idea of like, he's not reliable or he can't be trusted or it's so frustrating to me. I'm almost glad he doesn't care, Mike. I'm almost glad that he said, like, I, I'm not on social media. The only thing that matters to me are my teammates and what my coaches say and my home life. I've got responsibilities to these people in my world. And the thing that's always bothered me around discussions with, with Anthony Davis is this idea that he's someone who doesn't want it, that doesn't want to be great, <laughs> that doesn't work hard, that isn't going to play through stuff. And so he's self-motivated. To go. I heard Charles Barkley say, oh, the thing that made me great is I enjoyed kicking people's asses. It's just like, congratulations, that that's what made you great. Anthony Davis is going out there and kicking people's asses every single night. He, and he's doing it on a side of the ball that y'all don't respect. And so he doesn't get any love. Uh, he's also an NBA champion, which Charles Barkley never was. Sorry for another AD rant. It's just like, I've been on AD all season. Oh, I All know. three of us. Yeah. We're on the text message chain before the season started. And I'm just like, this is his time. This is, he's going to show people this season. And I'm so happy for Anthony Davis because he is truly one of the best players in the world. And in getting, and in recentering this conversation back onto this game, game five, and this idea of, of adjustments, Mike, you framed it perfectly in that the Warriors are doing all that they can in order to remove the threat of Anthony Davis defensively. It's basically their whole goal on offense. And the Lakers are rightfully being protective of that space. They understand that AD can play out on the perimeter. And Darwin said it. I'm comfortable with him out there. I just need him to be great when he is. And so I do think that the Lakers are going to try to limit AD from being out there, but I put this idea just, just back to you, you guys. If the Lakers are going to win this game, it's because AD is not just going to survive out on the perimeter in the times that he is out there, but he is going to thrive and that they are going to get the stops and it is going to lead to runouts because that is the way that you sort of get them to scrap some of that as well. It's just like, oh, well, this ain't working. So ideas of justice, I'm always willing to take a long detour for. Uh, like if one of you mentioned the final that Andre Iguodala won finals MVP over Steph Curry, I could do 50 <laughs> minutes right now on that. Like, this has I, been dumb for years, man. You know, the awards voting is just, oh, but, yeah, but I got more to say on it. But. It's also just, it's also hard. And it's when you have that many people trying to, when there isn't a clear concept of what it is, like, and I'll, I'm going to stop myself from doing that, but like the understanding what games played means in relevance to skill for, for all NBA versus MVP versus defensive player. It's 
there's not there isn't one thing and i think the nba does that on purpose because it's difficult to define it that way and you do need some gray area so let, let's let's put that aside for the moment um and the narrative that i was getting annoyed by out of game four was basically hey the warriors had a lot ran a million ball screens for steph curry in the first half how could they possibly go away from that what why didn't why wouldn't they just do that every single time and it's like it just that just ignores part of the reason why they went away from it part of the reason that like the lakers can adjust to it within the course of the game and you can't give any nba team the exact same thing for an entire course of the game for multiple different reasons it's just that's not basketball it's not how basketball works i'm not saying that they shouldn't that they the warriors got away from something that was working well uh, and like completely because they didn't, they still went to a lot of that stuff late and including the last couple of possessions. So it just was, that's looking at it from a, like as if the Lakers didn't have any agency um, in, in, in what, in what the Warriors were running and how they were defending what they were running. And they did. And I think that they will again in game five with an adjustment to that, that could be as simple as having somebody switch out to, to Curry from the wing instead of having AD do it from the baseline uh, yep. or from, from like a little more. It's not, it's just that it's not always just as simple um, as what you see. Like the coaches know what they're seeing. Absolutely. And they're the when of basketball is, is a topic that I really want to get more, more into that knowing when to play that card is super important. And that is exactly because of the fact that if you give a team one look all game long, that that's not going to work out for you. Um, also, yeah, the Lakers started switching Anthony Davis onto Steph Curry more than just that last possession. And AD's going to win some of those, right? And that's part of the value of him. And so we're going to wrap up here. We'll uh, be back either tonight or tomorrow morning uh, to, to record on Game 5. Lakers are like a seven and a half point underdog tonight. So Vegas does not believe in them. Uh, and they have not won a game like this yet. So we'll see if they come out and can close it out. I think this one's a little bit different, but we we shall see. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow to cover it either way. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you Not kidding yet. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers!
James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.